In this episode of Flying Smarter, I'm answering questions about how high planes fly and how to get into airport lounges. Then, I'm chatting with Dr. Carrie Tan about COVID-19 and the airline industry. Welcome to episode 6 of Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel. I really couldn't get away with starting a podcast about air travel during COVID-19 without addressing the pandemic, so in this episode's main segment, I'm talking to an airline industry expert about the impact of COVID-19 on the airline industry and what the future holds, so stay tuned for that. But first, let's start by answering some questions about air travel. How high do planes fly? The commercial jets that airlines operate typically fly at somewhere between 30,000 feet and 42,000 feet, and that's about 5 to 8 miles or 9 to 13 kilometers above the ground. And this is the case for a number of reasons, and the main one being efficiency. As you go higher and higher, the air density gets lower and lower, which means that the air gets thinner and thinner. And this is why people who climb tall mountains need to carry oxygen to breathe properly when they're at higher altitudes. With thinner air, there's less resistance which creates less drag on the aircraft, and this allows a plane to use less fuel. The range of 30,000 to 40,000 feet is sort of a sweet spot for planes given the way that they and their engines are currently designed. If they go any higher, the air gets too thin for them to fly properly. And another thing is that it gives them some altitude if there's an emergency, but it also is low enough so that pilots can make an emergency descent to a safe altitude if the cabin loses pressurization. Flying at these high altitudes also put planes above the layer of the atmosphere called the troposphere, which is where most weather happens. Each aircraft actually has what's called a service ceiling, which is the maximum altitude that it can fly at safely. I should note that turboprop aircraft generally cruise at lower altitudes compared to jet aircraft, and they have service ceilings of roughly 25,000 to 30,000 feet, and that's compared to service ceilings of around 40,000 feet for jet airliners. For a bit of comparison, the peak of Mount Everest is around 29,000 feet, and the highest point in the Rocky Mountains is around 14,500 feet. Birds fly at a much lower altitude than the cruising altitudes of these planes, which is why they tend to only pose a hazard during the first and final portions of a flight. There are aircraft out there that can fly higher than modern passenger jets though. Some military aircraft regularly fly well above 50,000 feet, and the Concorde, which in case you didn't know was a supersonic passenger jet that could fly from New York to Paris in less than 3.5 hours, it had a service ceiling of 60,000 feet. How do I get into an airport lounge? Airport lounges are really nice places to wait for your flight. They generally offer a nicer seating than the rest of the terminal, and they often have amenities like food and drinks, business centers, showers, and more. There's actually a number of ways that you can get into these lounges. The exact requirements differ between lounges, but I'll go over some of the main ways that you can generally access a lounge. If you're flying in business class or first class with an airline, you'll generally get access to a lounge. The major exception to this is that if you're flying domestically within the United States, you generally won't get access to a lounge simply because you're flying in a premium cabin. If you have elite status with an airline's frequent flyer program, it might come with lounge access. 
most airlines will offer lounge privileges to their top customers. Some credit cards also come with access to airport lounges. For example, the American Express Platinum Card offers access to hundreds of lounges around the world, including American Express's own lounges, Delta Sky Clubs, and more. There's also ways that you can pay for lounge access. Some lounges will sell day passes or single visit passes, and there's also a number of airlines that sell memberships to their lounges. Airlines like Air Canada, Alaska, and United all have lounge memberships that you can purchase, and in some cases, you can also get lounge passes or memberships by redeeming frequent flyer miles for them. There are also other types of lounge memberships that you can pay for that aren't run by a specific airline. And the most well-known of these is Priority Pass, which gives you access to a network of over a thousand lounges run by different airlines, airports, and third parties. A number of credit cards also come with Priority Pass. Did you know that Milwaukee Mitchell International Airport has recombobulation areas after each security checkpoint? After going through security, passengers are greeted by a sign that says recombobulation area, and it's there presumably because passengers are discombobulated after having to put their shoes back on and repacking their bags and putting things back in their pockets. It's not super clear if recombobulation is an actual word, but these signs are there mostly to put a smile on people's faces, but there's actually some space there for passengers to get their belongings together in these areas as well. I couldn't really start a podcast about air travel during COVID-19 without addressing the pandemic. And there's a lot of information out there about how to protect yourself and your fellow passengers if you're flying during the pandemic, So what I wanted to do is focus more on the industry and what the future holds for travelers. So I spoke with an industry expert about this, but I want to say a few things before we get to today's main segment and the interview with him. In this interview, I talked to my guest about COVID-19 and its impact on the airline industry. Now, a lot of what we discuss pertains to the airline industry worldwide, but when we talk specifically about the federal government, what we're referring to is the U.S. federal government and the situation in the United States. So if you're listening from somewhere else in the world, just keep in mind that even though some parts of the interview are focused on the U.S. situation, a lot of our discussion applies to the global industry. I should also point out that this interview was recorded in September 2020, but it's being released in October, and you'll hear us mention that the government support runs out at the end of the month of September, and after the interview, I'll provide an update on what has happened on that front since September 30th. Dr. Carrie Tan is an associate professor of economics at Loyola University, Maryland's Selinger School of Business. He's an expert on the airline industry and focuses his research on industrial organization and applied microeconomics. And of course, he's done a lot of work on different topics related to airlines. Carrie, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about COVID-19 and the airline industry. And since the pandemic has had such a huge impact on the sector, and has caused a lot of uncertainty. So with the unprecedented reduction in demand for air travel that we've seen, can you talk a bit about some of the big challenges that the airline industry has been facing? Yeah, so I was looking and it looked like the uh, passenger traffic has been down around 65%. And so what you're talking about, this being unprecedented reduction, and demand is definitely true. And so one of the issues that the airlines are facing from a supply side 
is the employees that they've been um, having fly these planes that are nearly empty. And so there's been a lot of issues trying to maintain payroll um, and the workforce. And the airlines have asked for government support. And so far, they've received it. One of the issues moving forward and coming up pretty recently is going to be that some of that aid is going to expire at the end of the month. And so it'll be interesting to see whether the government re-ups on their aid to the airlines and allows them to maintain their workforce despite the reduction in demand. Right. And generally speaking, um, COVID-19, like we were both saying, is really unprecedented. And what makes it such a unique challenge for airlines and something unlike anything we've seen before? I think the closest thing that... I could think of to this negative demand shock is possibly uh, the reduction in demand following the 9-11 terror attacks. And so what makes this one particularly challenging is that it's not just a change in psyche, which it definitely is now like it was back then, but it's really a, a more, in a way, permanent change or um, and, and, and less consumers' expectations on the safety of a flight changes, it's going to be really hard for airlines to convince passengers to come back and fly from point A to point B, as opposed to driving from point A to point B. Right. Now, different airlines have taken different approaches on how to tackle some of these challenges, and I want to talk a little bit about that as well. What are some of the ways that airlines have approached the challenges associated with COVID-19 from a passenger experience perspective? Yeah, so at least from the passenger experience, what we've seen is that a lot of airlines will keep the middle seat open or try to do do some sort of social distancing within the actual aircraft. Um, but as far as policies are concerned, one thing that airlines are trying to do to win back passengers is uh, by canceling change fees or at least getting rid of change fees um, and allowing passengers to have that flexibility that if the pandemic were to persist and the passenger wasn't comfortable flying, then they would be able to change their flight to a future date. Now, one thing that I wish we could see is uh, better support for cancellations and um, getting uh, refunds. Um, but at the very least, having no change fees allows for some flexibility for, for passengers. And uh, on the note of policies, and you know, like like you were saying, these sort of been changing um, and even evolving since the start of the pandemic, and they can be confusing and um, frustrating sometimes, especially when they keep getting changed. Do you have any advice for people who are trying to navigate all of these changes and all of these different policies between the different airlines? Yeah. So unfortunately, I had to cancel three flights, three trips this past summer. Um, due to uh, the pandemic. And so, at least for me, what has helped is um, checking the websites and checking the emails that I receive from these airlines. Um, at first, I was getting um, an extension of travel funds from certain airlines. And then uh, for, say, Southwest in particular, 
um, they converted the travel funds from dollars to points. Uh, the benefit there is that the, the points for Southwest don't expire. Um, and when uh, I had to cancel a flight with Alaska, they extended the uh, expiration date for those travel funds. So as you mentioned, these policies are fluid and they've been changing. And so uh, taking some time to research the particular airlines policies, uh, I think is really important. Right. That's great. And I'm sure that people who are in positions like that might find that insight very helpful. Well, here's something else that I'm curious to get your thoughts on. So beyond the major headlines like airline bankruptcies and aircraft retirements and that type of thing, what are some things that you think might have been changed forever in the industry? That's a really good question. And so, what again, as I mentioned before, the closest thing I can think of this negative demand shock would be the 9-11 terror attacks. And so in response to that, what we saw were certainly, like you mentioned, some airlines going bankrupt. But what we also saw was a, that triggered the start of a long period of consolidation in the industry. Uh, we used to have what we called the big six, six legacy carriers, American, United, Continental, Delta, U.S. Airways. Um, and now we really see three remaining of that big six. So we have American, uh, Delta, and United. And so what I worry about as far as a shift in the industry in the long term is potentially even more consolidation. Um, and what I'm particularly concerned about is potential consolidation, not necessarily at that legacy or major carrier level, but more at the low-cost carrier or even at the regional airline level. So what I would be curious to see moving forward is how the pandemic triggers less competition in the industry moving forward. And obviously competition is the, the big one, but can you talk a little bit more about what the impact of consolidations either in the past or potential future consolidations would be for, for travelers? Yeah, so something that I've taken a look at in my own research has been a phenomenon called dehubbing. And so what I have noticed is that with those consolidations since 9-11, there's always been a case in which one of the hub airports becomes redundant and therefore dehubbed after the merger. So what I mean by dehubbing is an airport no longer being used as a hub airport. Now that could have some interesting ramifications on pricing and also on product quality or what I would think of as maybe flight delays. And so depending on what happens with these prospective mergers, or these potential mergers, I should say, what I would worry about is a, a strong reduction in, in traffic or capacity or destinations uh, serviced from the current hubs that exist. Right. No, that's really interesting. And I'm sure that that's something we'll all have to keep an eye out for. Now, Amid this uncertainty and this potential for, for bad news, do you think there's any good news for travelers right now? Well, for those that are willing to travel in the current environment, there are some really good deals to be had. 
airlines, I keep getting emails from various airlines saying, hey, fly for as low as $49, $59. Or, hey, if you use your points, um, you're going to, the, the points are going to be worth more. Or actually, I should say, um, if you use, say, certain credit cards uh, that are tied to airlines, then uh, you'll earn more points for booking travel using your uh, airline credit card. Um, and so if you are willing to uh, travel now or in the near future, there's some really good deals to be had. And more in the long term, do you think there's anything good in the industry that might come out uh, of, of the pandemic? I'm hoping that uh, we'll see um, increased uh, safety precautions and that that will continue moving forward. Uh, um, and I would be curious to see how the changes to the fees that passengers love to hate, whether those are removed forever or whether that's just a temporary fix to convince consumers to come back onto planes. Now, at this point, we're somewhere between six months to almost a year into the pandemic now, depending on where in the world you are. And uh, reflecting on what's happened so far, what would you say is the one thing that's impressed you the most when it comes to the air travel industry during COVID-19? Yeah, so another really great question. I think that the airline's response and their um, backing up of their policies of making sure that consumers wear a mask and keep their mask on during flight um, has been pretty impressive. Um, and I hope that's something that will continue moving forward. And then I want to flip that question around too. So what's one thing that has perhaps shocked you the most in a negative way? So I would say from a negative standpoint, I, I was really disappointed when I heard about the airlines getting the aid from the federal government, but then also one of the promises that they made to get the aid was that they would maintain their capacity, particularly at small airports. But so, certain airlines wanted to go back on that and say, um, hey, we can't sustain in our operations at these airports, even though they had promised to do so when they got the money from the federal government. Right. Now, the government aid, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, runs out at the end of September. How do you think things will play out after that? Well, it'll be really interesting to see whether the politicians in D.C. are going to rally around the airlines again. Um, I think the idea was initially in March when they got the first round of money that six months would be long enough to kind of weather the storm. Uh, but now that uh, the six months later and we're still having issues, I think that the federal government might say, well, this might not be good bang for a buck right now. So it might be hard for uh, the airlines to get another round of, of funding, um, which really sucks for the workers at these airlines who've done nothing wrong. I, as um, 
someone who's been working on uh, my own private pilot license as a hobby, I've been meeting prospective uh, future pilots and captains, and it's it's been really hard for them to uh, think about what their job prospects are going to be like down the road, knowing that capacity has been dropped uh, significantly and traffic has been dropped significantly uh, due to the, the pandemic and and there's no kind of end in sight right now on on sort of on the note of uncertainty and you know having no end in sight here's perhaps the uh, million dollar question how do you think the recovery will play out for air travel I think it's gonna be very slow unfortunately and until consumers, expectations and their psyche around travel changes, it's going to take a while for airlines to really get consumers back into planes and and flying around to the levels that they used to be uh, a year ago or so. Um, So I think it's going to be a long haul uh, as far as this uh, recovery is, is concerned. One of the things that I've heard um, being floated around and even seeing sort of with how airlines are reacting now is that airlines are going to have to turn basically almost completely towards leisure traffic, at least in the near future. Um, do you think that that's, that's going to be the case and that uh, there's going to be a big shift in business travel perhaps? I think that's definitely the case for now. Um, I know for myself, I had a couple of conferences lined up uh, for this year and next year that look like they're going to be going virtual. And so I think as far as business travel is concerned, um, it's going to be much less than uh, it used to be. And, and that might be one of the last revenues or streams of, of revenue to come back. Um, and so the focus on more leisure travel travel might make sense, although again, it's going to be it's going to take some work to convince even leisure travelers to come back and and fly longer distance um, compared to what it used to be. Now, one of our main goals here on the podcast is to help people become better informed and smarter air travelers. But of course, there's a lot of people who simply aren't doing any air traveling or any travel at all uh, right now. What would you say to people who are closely watching the industry or who are just sitting at home itching to get on a plane and go traveling again? So that's another great question. I think what's going to be really important is potentially using the flexibility that airlines have provided and the changes to their uh, cancellation or or really their uh, change fee policy and book travel potentially as far ahead and advance as as you can, uh, locking in some of those lower fares um, and always having in your back pocket that you could either cancel or or change your flights or your plans um, if necessary down the road. Dr. Carrie Tan is an associate professor of economics and an airline industry expert at Loyola University, Maryland, Selinger School of Business. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the podcast. I really appreciate you coming to share your insight and expertise. Thanks again for having me, Andrew.
Like I mentioned earlier, this interview was actually recorded in September, and that's why we make reference to the US federal government support for airlines that ended at the end of that month. So what ended up happening is that the government didn't extend its support by September 30th, and US airlines have begun the process of furloughing tens of thousands of employees. And these employees, unfortunately, are joining the tens of thousands of other airline staff that have been laid off or furloughed in the rest of the world over the past six months. However, some airlines like Delta and Southwest have actually been able to avoid furlough so far through cost-cutting measures and voluntary agreements. I don't really want to get into the politics of it all, but as of the weekend prior to this episode's release, discussion for further support for airlines in the US is still ongoing at the federal level. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Flying Smarter. Please go and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as Flying Smarter and on Twitter as Flying underscore Smarter. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you again soon. Music